Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. This is Inspiring Women, and I am Lori McGraw. Today, I'm speaking with Liz Kirk. She is the Senior Vice President of Strategic Services at Strata Decision Technology, a company that focuses on revenue cycle and analytics and financial systems in the healthcare sector. She has over 15 years of experience working with healthcare providers, both as a hospital administrator and a consultant before she became an executive leader at Strata. Um, she has worked on cost reduction, revenue management, she was a longtime uh, senior person at Northwestern, where she worked on those cost savings. She also did work um, at GE Healthcare, Deloitte Consulting before that. She has her MBA and her Master's, um, master's of Health at the, from the University of Minnesota and did her undergrad work at Trinity University in Texas. And Liz, thank you for being on Inspiring Women. Absolutely, Lori. Thanks for having me today. All right, well, let's get going. I always start inspiring women with what does day-to-day -day look like for Liz Kirk? So as the senior vice president over at Strata, what do you do every day, Liz? Absolutely. In my role, you know, there's, there's I wear kind of three hats. Um, one of the hats is looking ahead. Where does it make sense for Strata to go next? Where are we going to invest in and really kind of what kinds of problems are we going to solve for our clients um, that are adjacent to the work that we're doing right now? So several times a week, I have meetings with senior folks at clients and sometimes frontline users at clients, which are health systems, um, to really kind of understand what problems it is they're facing um, and how they think that Strata could really kind of help them overcome that with what they know about Strata. I also um, lead up our incubator. So for our products where we are making a big investment, either in something new um, or in something that maybe hasn't quite found its footing yet and needs to be rethought, um, I work with a cross-functional group of people. Um, and frankly, I have a lot of meetings. Um, and what we often talk about is how do we advance what we're doing? How do we build a service um, around a product to really help a client get the impact, or how do we um, make a tweak to our product so people can really adopt it and get the impact that they anticipated when they bought the product. So I work with our implementation teams, our product management teams, our advisory services team, and certainly our growth team, which is our marketing and go-to-market, uh, our marketing and sales team. Um, to really kind of pull it together in this fully fleshed out solution that at the end of the day will um, drive efficiency or cost reduction or revenue improvement for our clients. 
Awesome. Okay. So that sounds like um, a lot of work and a lot of client facing work, which must be interesting, keep you on your toes as well as the work within um, the company. But Liz, where you are today is not where you started. So I just love to get a quick um, bio sketch. And, you know, you and I had this great opportunity to connect ahead of this um, podcast discussion. And I was so impressed just in hearing your story. You just talked about this love of working with clients, this love of system improvement um, in a way that just sounded like this tremendous satisfaction. And the, so many of the women and the trends that we see out there today include women at senior levels um, in quite a moment of contemplation. What do, what do they want next? And yours seems to be a different story. So give us a little bit of that bio sketch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, if we go to the way back machine, um, when I was growing up, always wanted to be a doctor, decided that I didn't want to take physics multiple times in college. Um, and so where I grew up, for one reason or another, is incredibly important um, to people, parents, parents, friends, to have an idea of what your kid was going to be when they grow up before they went to college. So when I decided I wasn't going to be a doctor, um, my mom connected me with a fella in her Sunday school class who was the CEO of a health system um, where I grew up. And, you know, he and I talked a little bit about his life and his job and what he does. And at that moment, I just knew it was right for me um, that I wanted to go into healthcare administration, whatever I thought that meant when I was 18. So um, this gentleman had gone to Trinity University in San Antonio for his master's in healthcare administration. So I thought I should probably go to Trinity University for undergrad and then do a master's in healthcare administration there so I can grow up and you know, be just like him. Um, so I did that. I went to Trinity for undergrad. I went to University of Minnesota for MHA and MBA, um, specifically because the University of Minnesota had a broader alumni network, both broader nationally than what Trinity had, um, as well as broader into different areas of business, not just um, hospital administration. Um, so did that also got a great scholarship, which made it a good deal, came out with very little debt, thankfully. Um, and after that, I started working at Deloitte Consulting in the healthcare practice and just had a wonderful um, first four years there, um, starting out um, working in health systems on some of their big issues and then with payers and ultimately kind of focusing in um, on the revenue cycle piece. Um, and then after which you liked, right? I mean, it seemed like the revenue cycle really spoke to you in some ways, like you know, just crunching the numbers and finding the problems within those numbers. Absolutely. That was kind of my first foray into wow, this is a big kind of system of processes and technology that all have to work pretty darn well for a claim to get out the door and to be paid in a timely manner. Um, and there are plenty of places along the way where it can break. Um, and I just loved redesigning processes and working with the frontline leaders and the frontline staff to get those new processes implemented. So, but along the way, um, my fiance died actually along the way, meaning my first couple of months at Deloitte, um, died completely unexpectedly. Um, and so I kind of knew early on at Deloitte that I wanted a job where I could live in the city where I worked um, and have a, a job where I could, you know, start a family and be that mom that was present 
for kids. Um, and unfortunately, early, early, late 90s, early 2000s consulting was not that way. It was really hard to uh, make it to partner. Um, if you, you know, you know, Liz, I, I don't want to just blow by this. I know you've told this story um, many times, and I have to imagine it remains uh, that uh, trauma that of just enormous proportions um, for you and um, and really shaped you know how you pursued both professional um, career but then also obviously your personal life so and we're going to talk about some of those because that actually um, amazingly is not the only significant um, obstacle personal tragedy or that you've had to deal with along the way so I won't sort of um, you know, give away what else, but, uh, but, you know, like those are big deal things. And, you know, at that moment in time, how, like when you were able to think about yourself professionally, if you were able to, you know, those thoughts work their way in, um, how did you think about it? Deloitte's a pretty awesome place to be working. Yeah. Deloitte was awesome um, throughout that process of um, one, bringing the news to me, um, and then two, kind of through that grieving and healing process. Um, but one thing I knew just almost within days, I think, of um, kind of getting, you know, getting that traumatic news was that um, I wasn't going to let this derail me. I had just started an awesome new job at an awesome company. And I actually felt like it would be healthier for me to get back to work quickly. I think I took off maybe a week or two um, and then got back to work with the idea that one, I didn't want to just sit around thinking about myself and feeling sorry for myself and being sad, um, but also that my fiance would not have wanted that for me. He would want me to continue to, you know, grow and thrive and achieve and and really do well. So that was always kind of the mental construct that I had, I think, going through that, um, that he would want me to to continue to push and grow and build a career. Not, when did you move to GE? Uh, I moved to GE um, about after four years at Deloitte. Mm -hmm. um, and it was very opportunistic. I wasn't necessarily looking. I did know at some point I would have to make a decision to leave Deloitte because I knew I didn't want to continue to travel for the rest of my life every week. Um, so GE had a, GE Healthcare had a small and growing consulting group that they had designs on um, growing from a a group that primarily did Six Sigma training and some light um, kind of process design for their imaging clients. So you buy an MRI, you get a little free consulting on it. Um, they wanted to grow into kind of a competitor, if you will, of Deloitte and ENY at the time. Um, so I was hired on to be their practice leader and to build out a revenue cycle practice. Um, and a phenomenal opportunity um, early in my career. I mean, many times, talk about imposter syndrome. I thought, why did they hire me to do this? I think they needed a partner, but 
here we go. Let's figure it out. Um, so you're doing it. You're, you're yes. doing, you're in the revenue cycle. You're loving the numbers and process. I mean, Six Sigma was all the rage process improvement. And you're working with some pretty large um, health systems and clients. So how'd that go? How did that go at GE? And, um, and I mean, my goodness, you know, the many places to go in healthcare GE um, has been in or out <laughs> of so many of them. How did that work for you? Absolutely. It was, um, it, it was, you know, strikes and gutters, I would say. It was phenomenal at that point in my career to have the opportunity um, to be connected to some of the, you know, CFOs at some of the large health, largest health systems around the country and work closely with their revenue cycle teams. And then also, um, when I was at GE, we hired a consulting firm to help us become a better consulting firm. Interesting. Um, and connected with the CEO of that firm. He and I were both from Texas and spent a lot of time in Milwaukee and just really connected. And he's been my mentor ever since. And I have learned so much from him um, and continue to bring a lot of what he taught uh, to the jobs that I've had since then. But um, you know, a tiny little consulting firm in big GE healthcare and within big GE brought its challenges as well, too. Um, so, uh, one day, um, I, I saw a meeting come on my calendar from Jeff Immel and I thought, are you kidding me? Like, this is clearly not for me. Um, <laughs> Some of the other names on there were people that I had been working with in different parts of GE Healthcare that touched revenue cycle um, solutions in some way or another. So I thought, well, maybe it is for me. So I get on this call with Jeff Immel, um, and he said, you know, I just love what you all are doing in revenue cycle consulting. Um, and our businesses, and we want to be leaders in this space. Um, please continue to grow your businesses, but you cannot use any codes in your work. You can't use a DRG code, an ICD-9 code. Um, and he was saying these in this way that it was like, it was very clear he was reading some bullet points that someone had given him. Um, and around that time, there had been a large lawsuit where a consulting firm was charged with treble damages, millions and millions of dollars for um, helping a client upcode, which means use a higher descriptive code in their billing so they could get paid um, more money, basically, for the services that they had provided. So when he said that, I sort of scratched my head and I thought, how in the world are we ever going to do revenue cycle consulting or software or anything, if we can't talk about codes, that's that's the basis of it. Are the right codes getting on the claims? Yeah, that's not that's not innovation. That's uh, <laughs> that's just, just no. not going to work kind of kind of uh, input. Yeah. No, yeah. I just was trying to imagine these conversations with clients, you know, and it it, it you you can't say revenue cycle without saying a code like within so what, did, what did you do what did you do this <laughs> yeah yeah so um there was a company that i was incredibly fascinated with their business model they um had developed technology to overlay on top of um uh medical records and billing software they had consulting to help people do that very well 
um, they had kind of an operating partner model where um, they would basically take responsibility in an outsourced way for the health systems, but still partner with the people that um, worked in the health systems. Um, and then they also had outsourcing um, to be able to kind of get more efficiencies um, in some of the the types of billing processes that happen that have happened to happen. And I've just been really interested in this company's business model. So literally on the same day after the weird Jeff Ilmelt meeting, I looked at my Gmail and I had a request from a recruiter for a company for a job at this company. Um, so I worked late, you know, putting my resume together. And um, next thing you know, I uh I got an offer at this other company. Um and moved to that company in a site leader role. So really working with the, the senior leaders at health systems. So you've got to pause, um, yeah. you've got to pause in terms of like, okay, this, you know, a very established and esteemed company, GE with the senior leader, the CEO, not really even understanding um, what he was talking to you about. Uh, and so you make a move. Now, Liz, I know, again, just from, you know, some of our conversation that um, the traumas that you faced, um, the, not trauma, uh, but, you know, just points in time of big moments, the Jeff Immelt conversation, it's not the only sort of big deal conversation that's happened to you. So I'd love just for you to share, if you wouldn't mind, uh, you know, another time where you had an, a career inflection point this time, perhaps because of your employer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, at the company that I was very excited about to make a move to love their business model, it was a pretty early stage company at that time. Um, and run by people who did not come out of healthcare. They had come out of outsourcing and out of consulting, um, which I, not having worked in any other industry, um, but I tend to think that people that work in healthcare tend to bring kind of a more, you know, empathetic um, lens to their employees. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. At least that's what I felt. Um, so this company was growing and doing all sorts of things. Um, and I also had was pregnant at the time. My husband and I had decided to start a family. Um, so I was traveling out to the clients um, every week um, and then set up time with the, um, the general counsel who was over HR at the time, kind of small growing people wear multiple hats company um, to talk about, you know, maternity leave and short-term disability and just kind of the logistics of going out on leave in several months. Um, and the first thing he said to me, and I was like, well, congratulations, because, you know, you're not going to come back to work. And I said, excuse me. And he's like, once you see that baby smile, you're not going to want to come back to work. And I said, yes, I will. I, I am a career oriented person. I love to work. I love what we're doing. I will absolutely come back to work. Um, and so this conversation sort of went on and I got off the phone and called my husband, who's a lawyer. And I was like, this is weird. Um, and he's like, well, that's weird and, you know, probably illegal. So just make a note to yourself, write it down, et cetera. Um, so then business as usual for the next several months. And then now we'll call it, I'm seven months pregnant and you know, it's going to be time in a month or so not to be able to get on a plane for a little bit and really need to start planning. So I set up time with a gentleman in person, um, went in and said, you know, I'm here to talk about these couple of things. And, um, one of the HR administrators was in the room 
And um, he said, yes, Liz, we are so excited for you. You're our first person to be pregnant here um, and we need to transition. And I said, and okay, transition to what? And he said, we need to transition you out. And right then kind of things clicked into gear great clarity. I'd been through some issues at GE, um, not similar, but kind of of the same genre. Um, and I, you know, I said, is this a performance problem? He said, no, this is not a performance problem. You're leading some of our best clients. Our biggest clients are doing great, but we need to transition you out. It's just hard to imagine a situation like that, that happens. And, um, and yet, and yet it does, and yet it does. And, you know, talking with many younger women, even today, 2022, um, I know of women who are um, who are not quick to share what should be really um, exceptionally wonderful news uh, about their growing families um, because of fear of whether it's missing the plum assignment, the promotion path, but in your case, being terminated, um, which is illegal, uh, is just incredible that that could happen. And so Liz, I know you bounced back and I want to get to one more and then sort of like talk about lessons learned from these major experiences. So that's not the only, I mean, obviously a major event um, and yet you per persevered and yet you continued to excel and continue to love the world of revenue cycle, complex problems, complex system problems and optimizing um, there. I know you've got one more to share actually, just, <laughs> you know, Charles, I just want to let yeah, you share that additional story. Absolutely. So um, I, I left the company. We, you know, did what we did from a legal perspective. Um, and interestingly, my last listeners day, hear, hear that news. It did what we did from a legal perspective. I think we get that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And interestingly, along that path, you know, I was thinking, certainly this is the only person this has ever happened to in the new millennium. Um, but then kind of, you know, friends of friends started kind of coming out of the woodwork and it had, there were probably five or six of people that I had connected with that had similar things happen. And everybody was just like in shock. It, it, like this doesn't happen in when 2000, whenever this was, I don't know, eight. <laughs> we, yeah. Back. Um, yeah. So after that, it actually um, turned out to be a bit of a gift or a, a a really big gift um, that I was able to stay home with my daughter um, and really focus on her, not have to really worry about hurrying back to work at, you know, the three month mark. Um, and it was just wonderful. But the, uh, the timing of that was, I think it was actually the day that Bear Stearns you know, imploded and it just kicked off all the rest of the implosions um, in the financial market crash was was my last day on the payroll. So it was a little hard to think about going to get a job in that economy right after that. Um, so as I was home with my daughter, um, I was in, uh, she's probably about five months old and I had a doctor's appointment the next day and had actually noticed um, a lump in my breast, kind of small, little, felt like a pencil eraser. And um, so I went into the, to my doctor, just a regular checkup, you know, and said, I have this thing. And she kind of felt of it. And she said, well, you know, it's, it's probably nothing. It's probably a clogged milk duct, um, but let's get it checked out. Go get an ultrasound. 
So I went and got an ultrasound actually at a hospital where I had worked on their, their patient flow processes in their mammography department. Um, so I should have known what was happening, um, but they did the ultrasound and then brought me back for several views of a mammography and the radiologist, it was back in the day, you know, put the film up on the light board and circled it and said, that's breast cancer. Um, and that this, I mean, I had no family history of it, no indication that anything like that was going to be coming my way. I believe I was 34 um, at the time. So a little bit of kink in the plan, but um, I was it's still at home with my daughter. Um, and it actually turned out just to be also kind of a gift. I could stay home with her for her full first year. Ugh. I had friends and family, you know, that could come up and spend time with me and just got to have, you know, good, real time. Well, Liz, it's such, um, it's such big and difficult news to experience something like that. Are you well, are you healthy today? Are you, uh, how are you coping with that? That's a lifelong diagnosis. It is. Um, I am, I'm great. Um, I actually had a recurrence, um, about four years ago, um, local recurrence did around a chemo ran the marathon, um, nine months later, um, which really for me kind of marked the before times and the after times and, and I'm healthy. I'm great. I still run, work out, still work hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, such, so many big things that have happened to you in your professional career. And um, first of all, that's wonderful news that that's your current state of um, health. And I don't want to get too deeply um, personal there, but just um, that's just wonderful news. And so Liz, I guess the thing that I want to hone in on from these, what are pretty significant challenges that you've faced um, uh, along the way, personal, deeply personal, professional, how has that sort of shaped how you show up at work, show up um, with leadership? And what are the big lessons that you've learned from that? Yeah, I, I think from a the the content or the domain of work that I do um, in healthcare, um, first and foremost, I think it has just given me that lens of, um, of being a patient. Um, you know, it, it may be being one of 100,000 patients for a health system or 500,000 patients for a health system, but how can um, me and my role, whether it's working at a health system or working um, with a client that's a health system, how can the work that I do, how does that really improve either the quality of care that they provide, the experience and the efficiency that they provide, um, and sometimes it's a, you know, it's kind of a, a, a wavy line to get there. Um, but at the end of the day, that's what it is that gets me out of bed is knowing that the work that I can do can make an impact on patients and having been a patient, um, I feel like I can just bring that lens in a very authentic way, um, both to the work that I do, as well as to the teams that I work with, um, you know, many of whom have not had such up close and personal experience in the healthcare space. So really trying to, you know, impart to them how important it is the, the true 
kind of end goal, end user, if you will, of whatever it is we're doing for redesigning a process or implementing, you know, financial planning software. Patients are at the end of that. Yeah. And so Liz, just as we close out here on Inspiring Women, I just love to get your thoughts. When we um, spoke earlier, I was just so struck by how committed you are and how much actual, I mean, joy is the way I would describe how you talk about your work of helping large health systems or helping your clients really improve their operational efficiency, their financial health um, and the like. So as you um, also do quite a bit of work mentoring other women, um, aspiring younger women who are um, moving along in their career paths, what is your best advice for um, those younger women so that they too can continue to have sort of the uh, excitement about what they're doing day to day in their professional executive level positions like you are in. Absolutely. You know, for me, it really, out of all of the things that we talked about that have happened to me, um, the thing that I always come back to is do what you love and love what you do. Um, And that can sound just sort of you know, glib. Um, but I really do think that's important for people to understand kind of at their core, what is important to them? What's non-negotiable? Um, for me, that's being able to be a very, you know, present and involved and engaged mom and wife um, and having a job that I love to get out of bed for um, and make a difference. Um, and then also understanding kind of what are those things that you are good at and want to be able to be good at. Um, For me, frankly, it's being able to kind of see a big convoluted process or system and hone in on what are the things that are causing this to be, you know, inefficient or losing money or not delighting uh, clients at the end of the day. Um, And so from there, I've really been able to kind of shape a career around that core Um, I can see problems, I can fix problems, um, and it's usually cross-functional. And I love to work cross-functionally with people um, to really help solve problems. Terrific. Well, thank you so much, Liz, for both sharing those very personal stories, but also for um, just expressing your optimism and how you approach um, your work every single day. It is inspiring. This has been an excellent, inspiring women conversation. I have been speaking with Liz Kirk. And Liz, thank you so much. Yes, thank you, Lori. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.